The Bible Study Podcast, episode 168. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of money by looking at contentment. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. As we talked last week, I mentioned something about contentment, and that we would cover that in a later episode. Well, this is the episode. I have some ideas of what's coming, but I'm kind of exploring with you. I know we're going to do one on security coming up, and then we're going to do one probably on honesty as it relates to money. But this one, as I said, is contentment, and let me start with a passage from Hebrews, Hebrews 13.5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It's very easy for me to pray to win the lottery, because if I won the lottery, I really wouldn't have to bother God again. It would be so easy for God if he would just deal with my issues, at least my issues revolving around money, and then put me in a situation where I wouldn't have to worry about it again. But of course, that's not the way things usually work. And as we know, not everybody who wins the lottery actually ends up without money problems. Not everybody who is an athlete who gets a lot of money ends up again without money problems. That sometimes money problems are made better by more money, and sometimes they're made worse. But this verse encourages us to be content with what we have. Now, it's a difficult thing in this society. Content is not something we do very well. Content is something that seems like settling. And I don't think that that is what the Bible is talking about when it uses it in this way. Uh, There's another verse that I want to jump to here, which is from Paul from Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. Paul has just received a gift from the Philippians, and he's writing to thank them. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you have had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who strengthens me. Now, what Paul doesn't say in that passage, and it certainly seems like he could have expanded on a little, is what is the secret of being content? What do you think? What is the secret of being content? Paul has some knowledge here as he's going through times of plenty or in times of want that God is with him. And you notice that verse in Hebrews, possibly also written by Paul, that it's be content with what you have because God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In the times of plenty, he knows who to thank. In the times of want, he knows who to rely on. And so, as we've said a time and time again, my understanding of the Bible and my understanding of the Christian faith is that it is relationship-based. It's not rules-based. It's not anything else-based. But it is relationship, and that that is the number one thing that God is looking for in our faith. That, that is the number one thing that he is looking for from us. And he values his relationship with us more than he values me winning the lottery. And we'll talk a little more about winning the lottery next week. Not that I have, you understand, but a mentality that comes out of winning the lottery. Now, what sort of things make us discontent? 
make us not content with what we have. Obviously, if we have too little, there's worry over money. That certainly is something that can cause us discontent. And Jesus talks a lot about worry, obviously, and we may look at some of those verses later. And then there's also envy. There's also all of that coveting that he spends so much time on in the Old Testament, there in the Ten Commandments, that when we look at what somebody else has, we think that we need that too. We confuse the want with the need. And that's part of what contentment means, I think, is understanding the difference between need and want. Understanding that the most important things are not necessarily more money. There's an interesting study that was done some time ago by a economist, Richard Easterlin, and he came up with something called the Easterlin Paradox. And there's been some debate about this in other studies, but he did a study in 1974, and he found that within a given country, people with higher incomes are more likely to be happy, or to at least report that they're happy. But if you compared country to country, happiness did not go up with income. So let's look at that again. He's saying that if I'm in the United States that in general, I will say I'm happier if I have more money. So let's not deny that, that there is some worry, I think, especially that goes away and some freedom that comes from money. But I might be somebody in Mexico making less money, but being happier. Now, there's all sorts of reasons why that might be, but I think that covetousness, that envy, that looking at what other people have is one of the things that may determine why things are different from one place to another. If you're in some place where no one has anything, then you wouldn't have that issue, right? That is not that important. And that's always been one of the interesting things that I find. One of the reasons that I like to go down and do volunteer work in Mexico, I go down with a group called Esperanza International. And I've gone down about 15 times. I've really lost track of the number of trips exactly. But going and doing house building with a neighborhood in Tijuana. And this is with people who are the working poor. These are people who have jobs. They've saved up enough money to build a house, but they need some help. They need some help from their neighbors. And in this case, I am acting as one of their neighbors. And the thing that I like about the trip is, well, I like the food. Let's let's not deny that. But I love the people, especially some of the people that we work alongside, some of the people that we've gotten to know over the years who work for Esperanza have become friends. I think of Eduardo down there, who we've worked alongside for, I don't know how many years now, maybe 12 years. And I loved to see the joy in that place. And when we go back someplace and they show us their house and they're so pleased with it and they're so happy with it, and it's much less than what we are used to. I'm sitting in a room that is larger than some of the houses that we've built down there. But the people have some place that is safe and they have some place that is secure and they have some place that is warm and dry. And they understand that that's what they need. And it's always a great resetting, I think, of expectations to spend time and see people who are happy with less than we have. That you don't have to have a flat screen TV to be happy. You don't have to have the fastest car. Now, that doesn't mean I don't like a flat screen TV or actually now, finally, as of last fall, have one or that I wouldn't like to have a sports car. But there's a difference between need and want. And I think part of contentment 
is understanding that. Getting to that place when you get the raise in salary that you realize that you don't have to raise your standard of living. That it isn't necessary. You may choose to, but at least an understanding that perhaps it would be better not to. Uh, we had a point with the job that I was with where I was an executive in the company and the t- company was going through hard times and we needed to either lay off people. Well, we actually had already laid off a lot of people, but to keep from laying off more people, we needed to do some salary cuts. And what we did at that company, and I really thought this was a good choice, is the more you made, the more salary cut you got. That we understood that somebody who was making $60,000 a year, that they were having a harder time making it go, especially here in Silicon Valley, than somebody who was making over $150,000 a year. And so the executives of the company took a 50% pay cut. Well, the good news there is that I was, first of all, overpaid (laughs) to start with, and that always helps when you're taking a 50% pay cut. But when my salary had gone up as a part of being a vice president of engineering, which is what I was doing, we hadn't necessarily gotten ourselves in the situation where we had to have that much money more every month. We hadn't immediately gotten into the kind of debt you could easily go to, the kind of monthly payments that can really get you in trouble. And so for at least a time, I was able to take a 50% pay cut and not go into debt. We went through some savings for sure, but we actually had things in savings because we had dealt with the money that we had gotten with an understanding that there are, t- there are times that are tough and there are times that are easy. And that the times that were easy aren't our right or our expectation. And so we found a way to be content spending less than we were making. And that helped us when things got hard. I want to look at one more verse here before we finish, and that is Ecclesiastes 5. This is verses 10 through 15. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when he has a son there is nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. So this is one of those naked man comes and socially go back sort of verses. But did you notice that first part? As goods increase, so do those who consume them. What benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? There is a tendency to increase our consumption as our wealth goes up. There's a tendency to spend the money we earn. Well, you know that, and there's a great desire to do that. But it isn't necessarily for our benefit. Interesting line, I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. Is it possible when God blesses us with wealth that his intention is not just that we buy nicer stuff. Is it possible that when God blesses us with the abilities to earn a good salary, that when God blesses us with a position, with a job, when a lot of people don't have them, 
that his intention is not just that we need more stuff. A nicer car, a fancier house. Is it possible that God has something else in mind and that the hoarding of wealth is a harm to its owner? I want to leave you with that thought, and we're going to end here this week. If you have any questions, feel free to leave a comment at thebiblestudypodcast.com or send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast. You can also follow me on Twitter at Chris2x. And as always, thanks so much for listening. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God looks at your heart, not your gene size. Do you know the verses yet still stress over your body? Oh, I get it. I was raised in church, but I struggled with food, eating disorders, and my body for decades. I'm Heather Creekmore, host of the Compared To podcast, where we talk about all things body image and comparison from a biblical perspective. We get real about the pressure to focus on appearance in a culture where looks seem to matter most. Whether you're wrestling wrinkles or battling the scale, Compared To Who is the show for you. You'll laugh a little and be encouraged a lot. If you're ready to stop comparing and start living, visit lifeaudio.com to listen and subscribe.